Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Necromaniacs podcast. I am one of your esteemed co-hosts, Mr. Michael Scandano, and with me, as always, Mr. Mike Hill. What's up, Mike? Oh, just doing the thing, you know. It's uh, <laughs> midsummer, and uh, you know, just in, trying to enjoy life, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's midsummer. It's uh, late July. My birthday passed. Had a nice birthday weekend. Went to uh, Foxwoods in Connecticut, which a place which I'd never been. Uh, I won. I won no money, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, man, Connecticut has a lot of these, like uh, you know, um, reservation, uh, mm-hmm. you know, casinos. Yeah, I've been to uh, Mohican Sun a number of times actually over the years uh, to see. Want to go there next? Yes. Yeah, man, it's, it's pretty cool. It's like I saw Judas Priest play there. I've seen uh, hmm. some uh, Bellator, uh, you know, fight uh, MMA events, you know, stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely going to go to Mohegan Sun next. And uh, it's funny. I, I like to play slot machines. I enjoy it. I, I, I've realized I, I like casinos. I always have, you know, I'm, I'm like a nightlife guy, Mike. I like casinos. I like bars. I like restaurants. That's just who I am. You know, yeah, it's good. You like it's the good... night. You like the nightlife. I like the nightlife. I do. And what's interesting is that there's, a, you know, I don't know if I've even talked about Tim Dillon on here before, but Tim Dillon is my favorite comedian of the last two years. I, I really got into him a year or so ago, and he has this great podcast. Listen to it every week. And uh, my girlfriend and I noticed a bunch of Tim Dillon shirts. You know, dudes wearing them. And I thought it was so cool, you know. I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. But what I didn't know was that last Saturday, Tim Dillon played Foxwoods. Oh, wow. So kind of kicking ourselves that that didn't dawn on us <laughs> because perhaps we could have seen him live, which would have been great. So that kind of sucked. Um, but. You know, yeah, I, I saw pictures of the, the, the big room they have for, like, events. It's fucking awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, seeing seeing uh, live events at casinos is actually kind of fun, you know, because it has that, you know, it has that vibe of being at a casino, and then it's either, like, you know, seeing a music thing or, you know, mm-hmm. comedy. All that stuff is really cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it just, it, it, it was probably one of the most normal post Corona times I've had because, you know, I mean, I'm vaccinated. My girlfriend's vaccinated and uh, most people were kind of walking around there without masks. There were people walking around and seen it with masks. Of course it, it's, you know, seemed quite optional. Um, and it just, it seemed like old earth kind of for a nice little night or two, you know, which was nice. Yeah. In general, my uh, experiences have been fairly normal. Um, mm-hmm. recently, you know, you know, if you want to wear a mask, that's cool. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have, you know, right now I'm not going to wear a mask unless someone asks me to, or if I go someplace and everyone else has one on, then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll comply. But, uh, sure. things feel pretty normal. Um, I actually went to a show in Brooklyn, uh, this past weekend at lucky 13. Oh yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, who'd you say? Uh, putrid pile played as well as a bunch of other bands. Nice death metal killer. Yeah. yeah, and it was uh it was it was funny because I went there with uh, my buddy Rich 
And it was mm-hmm. actually, he's the one who told me about the show. And I was like, fuck yeah, man, let's go. So I got this weird anxious feeling right when I got up to go into the venue. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is like, there's people here, you know? Yeah. And after like a couple of minutes, I started feeling normal again. And it was cool. And I was, you know, enjoyed myself and uh, ran into some people I haven't seen in a while. And you of know, course. Yeah, enjoyed man. the music and, you know. Then and Lucky Thirteen is kind of a trip, you know, going there with they got the dancers and you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shout out to uh, Jeff and Melody, the owners. People uh, known a, a very long time. Um, I, they originally were located about uh, you know a mile away in a much smaller room. They were a bar, Lucky Thirteen. Now they're a bar venue, and. Uh, I was there the night it opened because I was living in Park Slope at the time. So I go, I go way back with the Lucky Thirteen family. That was my first time at the the, the location that they're in now. The only oh, most cool. most of my experiences were when it was still just like a small heavy metal bar. Yep. And what's interesting, it's funny that was your first time there, and uh, my other band, Inhuman, played the first show of the new room. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I think I did actually. Yeah, and, um, yeah, we did a Misfits cover set the night the that the new location opened up. That was a fun night. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool spot, man. I, I you know I, I think um, it's a it's a nice size room. You know it's it it's easy to pack it out. You know. Yeah, cool. yeah. They, they redid the stage actually, so it's it's you know if people who live in New York or haven't been there in a bit, it's actually uh, it looks a lot better. They widened it out, and yeah fucking awesome place but uh it's turned into a nice little commercial for lucky 13 in brooklyn mike (laughs) well you know the the other cool thing is they have like plenty of horror stuff hanging up around there you know like some freddy krueger stuff michael myers you know it's they do yeah it's like that crossover kind of thing you know and uh they even have a picture of yours truly up front there in the photo collage of uh when i was a bit of a younger man and uh at the other at the other location nice (laughs) It's uh, me, Hank, and my brother, and I forget who else is, is in the photo. Hank from uh, Inhuman and uh, Silver Tomb. Hello, Hank. Um, and they, uh, yeah, The Last Stand, uh, we've played there before. Um, so, yeah, it, it, cool place. Looking forward to playing there again. I uh, just want to give a little plug before we get the ball rolling. Uh, you know, it's always good to get the plugs out of the way early, Mike. Sure. Um, to uh, Break the Apocalypse podcast. Check out Break the Apocalypse podcast if you want to laugh and if you want to, you know, listen to something that isn't horror. And uh, I need to plug my band's new release that is out now on all digital platforms. The Last Stand and One Choice from the East Coast to the West Coast. It's on Spotify. It's on Bandcamp. It's on Apple Music. If you like New York hardcore, California hardcore, this record is for you. Was that a good commercial, Mike? You know that was a very professional read. I have to, you know, I have to give you some props for that, Mike. Thank you so much. And by the way, I wasn't reading anything. That was off the top of my fucking head. So how about that? Even better. And I'm not even drinking tonight, listeners. So <laughs> amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But um, hello, listeners. I, I feel like our our family of listeners has grown, and uh, you know, always super grateful for that. Hello to the longtime people. Hello to the new people. And, uh, you know, it's a cool thing. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's cool that uh, I've also been noticing that, um, you know, the numbers seem to be going up, which is always nice. And, 
you know, we're mm-hmm. doing we're doing this to you know just to reach out to people, give them something to do every week, uh, help them get through their day at work, or if they're commuting or going on a you know weekend trip or whatever, you got something to uh, to listen to and help pass the time. Totally, totally. And we actually talk about horror movies too. How about that? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and you know, we pick stuff that's a little off the beaten path. We have themes. We do a lot of different stuff. Uh, but you know. Tonight, we're going back into a theme we kicked off a little earlier in the summer, and that's summer horror films. But before we do that, Michael, uh, I want to know, what have you been listening to, reading, or watching as of late? Okay, well, I think I mentioned that I was, was planning to go to the movie, actually go to a movie theater a few weeks ago. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I went to go see A Quiet Place 2, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I, didn't enjoy, I didn't like it. Yeah, I just thought Quiet Place 1 was was good. Uh, A lot of people were drooling over it and ranting and raving. I just thought it was good. It's a good movie. Um, Part 2, I guess I'll see it. Didn't feel the need to run out and go see it. Um, Any more about Part 2 that you want to say? Yeah, well, you know, if it wasn't uh, my first opportunity to go out and see a movie, like in a theater, I probably would have waited for this to come on to the streaming uh, channels. Uh, but it was such a novel idea to go out in public and, and watch a movie mm. again. And I live like five minutes away from uh, the Menlo Park Mall out here in Jersey. Right. And that was one of those dine-in AMC-like scenarios. But um, I, I, re- I read a synopsis of the film. They talked about like cannibals and all this stuff, and there was none of that stuff in the movie. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess since I wasn't so dazzled by the, the original – like I said, I didn't feel the urgency to see this one, but I will see it, and I want yeah. to see it. No, it's not at the top of my list. I don't know. I think I'm I'm enjoying. I'm kind of enjoying just watching what I want to really see, which could be stuff from ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and just I don't know. I'm being rather selective about new movies, Mike. I just I really am. Like, uh, I, I put on on Shutter. What was that one? Like sometimes some of these shutter movies will get like this this instant buzz on like Facebook or Instagram, and then you you watch it and you're like, what? Like this sucks. Like right? Like I don't know. Like I'm not into it. Um, I, on the last podcast, I, I mentioned that um, that Netflix uh thing, the uh, <laughs> it, it to me it was it was so not good. I don't even remember the name. Oh, you mean I uh, yeah? It's like there's like three parts to it. Yeah, and I know some listeners right now are probably frustrated at, at my terrible memory. <laughs> but honestly, I don't even care because this is – its a, is this for like 16-year-old girls? Like this is horror? Really? Like what is this? I don't know. It's, maybe it isn't for me. But I feel like they're trying to get it to be for me with this whole 1994 angle, which was a wonderful year for Michael Scandato, number one. And like it has the cool music. And it like you feel like you're gonna like it, but 30 minutes in, you're like, no, I don't like this at all. Like this, you take the the music out of this, and this is nothing like 1994. Who was it written by? Was did the person who wrote this was even alive in 1994? <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, the the movies that you're referring to are called Fear Street, and there's Fear yeah, there's it's, three parts to it. Not it's not for my demographic. That's yeah. that's. Mike, what do you think? I mean, well, I, I, 
I took a gander at it and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to pass on this. And uh, mm. it just seemed like, um, once again, you know, for me, it didn't seem like something for me either. You know? Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. And I'm sure some of our listeners enjoyed it, uh, you know, of varying ages. Right. But it just, I don't know. I don't think it was for me. Um, I, I did watch recently, uh, <laughs> Again, you know, something age-appropriate, something that sparks memories. I watched the HBO documentary about Woodstock '99. Did you check that out yet? Oh, I've been meaning to look. I've been meaning to check that out. Oh boy, um, I tell you, it's funny. Like a lot has happened since 1999, so it's like, you know, certain things just go out of your your memory. But when you watch this, boy, do you like it? It creeps back in just how big Limp Biscuit were in 1999. <laughs> yeah, right? man, totally. They were disturbingly big. I never liked them, not in 1999, not now, okay? I still don't like them. Um, their music is god-awful, and their whole shtick is god-awful. But, boy, did they have the crowd of, I don't know, 300,000 like worshiping their ass at Woodstock 1999, which was so unfathomable to think in 2021. Yeah, I I, I never uh, had much uh, regard for <laughs> for limp limp biz bizkit. And in Corn played, they were also huge in 1999. But Corn, I'll say this: not a huge fan or anything. I, I mean, I don't listen to them. But they have maintained their career and their fan base. And they're still good to be a headliner in any fucking city in America. They're not like a punchline like Limp Bizkit are. I'll, you know, I'll say that about Corn. Um, and then they show footage of like the offspring. And it's like, you know, uh, DMX. Again, DMX, man, it, I, I have to say, I'm not the biggest rap guy. My rap kind of ends by like, 95 honestly okay the gangster rap era was the last time i got really excited about rap um and but jesus dmx what he does with this crowd is unreal like you get like the chills watching it like he had the entire crowd in the palm of his hands you know he, he passed away a month or so ago rest in peace and that was awesome to, to be reminded of that performance you can actually see a lot of his performance of you know on youtube um and then uh, something i completely forgot i forgot that metallica even played what oh, I, didn't, I didn't realize they played either yeah they closed it out actually but this is when they had like the really late like they all had short hair and like they were putting out those god-awful records and lars was suing the fans and naps like this was the this was the the worst Apart from Metallica, even though one could say they've never had like a terrible, terrible career because they've always made money and they've kind of always sold records. But just visually, to me, this is like the worst Metallica ever, you know, <laughs> um, and they closed it out. And it's just it's a weird reminder of what things like were like back then and what fucking music was like back then. But for me. In 99, I was doing Inhuman. We had just put a new album out. And, and it, the hardcore scene, like the, the proper hardcore scene, was actually doing quite well. And it was in 
stark contrast to the garbage new metal and the horrible pop music that was going on. And it's just like, wow, man, life was just so different back then. It was just so fucking different, you know? I mean, it's, you know, pre 9 11, and, and then they get into all the weird shady shit that, that you know, that went on that day, the, the, the sexual assaults and the violence. And they talk about a guy who died. And it's just like, wow, man. Like, I forgot about Woodstock 99, Mike. I uh, was always aware of it. I never really thought too much about it. Um, you know, just probably similar to you. I was definitely not into, like, the big mainstream, like, concerts back in 99. No, no, not at all. You know, and, and that just was, like, so far removed from uh, anything I might have been excited about, you know. Yeah, and, and, you know, like black metal and death metal, it was just, it was, all that shit was still kind of going on, obviously, you know what I'm saying? But things were going through like a weird, <laughs> a weird, like, transformation, I feel like. Um, and the one interesting thing of note was that how the stark difference between the first half of the 90s versus the second half of the 90s in, in the pop world, like, where you had the Nirvana, REM, Pearl Jam, introspective, progressive, exciting, new 90 to 95 world versus the 96 to 99, 2000 world of just like garbage. You know, <laughs> like it just really brought all that kind of shit back to my head. And I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, I never thought of that division before. Oh, but yeah, dude. That's why you should definitely check out the documentary. I think that a lot of our listeners would find it interesting. They go into that a, a bit, actually. They, they reference it a few times. The difference between the first and second half of the 90s is just like astronomical, really. Yeah, I, I uh, maybe this weekend I'll check it out. I, I um, It's been on the periphery of uh, you know what I've been wanting to check out. Yeah, and, yeah. I checked out a couple other movies. I think one of them I texted you about. Um, Daughters of Darkness. I revisited that. That's an incredible, oh, incredible movie. movie. Yes, yes. We, we may even we may even uh, cover that, uh, listeners, on the show. It's a great uh, 70s uh, Euro vampire film, Daughters of Darkness. I think I'm all about talking about that movie. It's got everything about it is great. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like an interesting take on Elizabeth Bathory. It's got a great score. Mm -hmm. acting you know it's it's not italian it's like a uh a french and german i think belgian maybe mm -hmm. and german production so you know veering away from the italian horror sometimes we we get you know deeply into yeah. that. there's um, a lot of other great euro horror out there and this is this is definitely uh one of them it's just got that the atmosphere that's yeah. the word the atmosphere is just is dripping with atmosphere and uh another film that i heard about on another podcast was uh, a movie called Eden Lake. Are you, oh, have you heard okay. of that? Have you heard about that one? I heard of it. I talk about it a little. There's a chance I've seen it actually. Yeah, it's like an early uh, Michael Fassbender movie. Um, it's British. Takes place um, in some Midlands remote area, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, it involves uh, some young kids who are terrorizing uh, a you know. A nice middle class couple. Yeah, I think I did see this movie. I saw it way back when it came out, 
and I'm not remembering it fully, but now that you mentioned that it's a, a fast bender, I'm pretty sure I saw it and I liked it, and now I want to see it again. Did you like it? I did, and I uh, generally find these films to be kind of formulaic, but this one actually had a very dark twist at the end. Mm. And um, I like Michael Fassbender. Um, I always enjoy uh, like English hooligan films, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it has that like British, you know, running suit, like young guy <laughs> kind of thing going on, which I was, I always find that entertaining. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm still blazing through my Miami Vice's uh, listeners, and uh, hopefully, it uh, it has inspired some of you to check out the first few seasons of the magnificent Miami Vice. Um, I'm being a terrible horror person as of late, but you know, there's there's always horror around the bend for me. Trust me. Um, which kind of brings us to what we're going to be talking about this evening: summer horrors. Part of, um, part of the movie, uh, Cruel Summer series. Yes, <laughs> the Cruel Summer series, indeed. Uh, this movie gets talked about a lot when it comes to the summer horror film, you know, uh, milieu, I guess. I just use that word. I don't use that word a lot. It's a good word. Um, we're talking about the 1981 film, The Burning. Uh, it's a movie that people... Uh, asked us to cover and i think in the back of my head i thought we would cover it that summer because you know it's a good it, it's a summer horror movie i mean 100 percent. but i think mike and i are gonna burst a few bubbles <laughs> that well i think its reputation is better than the movie itself and i think that all of the factoids about it and all of the interesting you know things you need to know of quote unquote about it are more interesting than the movie itself mike yeah we, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording and um i think uh i i got swept up in the early uh, 80s slasher genre and just you know i had such a an appetite for these types of movies when i first saw it that uh, mm -hmm. i just like consumed it along with the others and, uh, you know, now, actually, you know, I probably haven't seen this movie in a couple of decades. And, um, and yeah, it was it, uh, the buildup of watching it outstripped my actual enjoyment of the film. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, what I'm getting at is that I, I've found that there are rabid fans of this movie who love this movie and think it's great and it's better than Friday the 13th and it's better than this or better than that. And well, I'm here to say, no, it is not better than Friday the 13th. It is not better than Sleepaway Camp. It is, it is good. It is a good movie. It is merely a good summer horror movie with a lot of interesting things about it. And we're going to talk about the interesting things. Um, and, you know, and I think that's that just happens sometimes with movies when it comes to reputations. And hell, you could even say that about movie posters, where the movie poster of a great old school movie, like you think you're going to be walking into the greatest thing of all time, and then you watch the movie and you're kind of disappointed, right? Yeah, it's got a. I mean, especially back during the era when I was watching all these movies as a kid, 
it was all about the box, you know, all about the VHS box. Right. You know? And there was some, and this is one of the best. It's one of, one of the greats, in my opinion, is the one for, uh, for the Bernie. You go, look yeah, awesome. Like the, the icon of the film of the, of the, the two raised hands with the shears. That's, that's fucking awesome. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've, I've seen that in like death metal flyers and ba- like I've, you know, the, the burning has been referenced. And I, if, and if I am mis- perhaps mistaken, I even think I'm pretty sure Mortician has have a song about the burning, uh, you know, um, but I don't know the love that a lot of you feel for this movie. I, I found myself watching again in 2021. I didn't find myself feeling that love. Uh, I've seen the movie before. I've seen it a few times. I think the last time was a, about a decade and change. It's been a, been a minute, you know, maybe 10 to 10 to 12 years ago, uh, because I did own a, a DVD of it at some point that I no longer have, because I did a very large DVD purge, Mike. I remember that. Um, yes. I sold tons of DVDs on eBay. Like I would put them up with dollar bids. And I think this was one of them actually. And I, I remember, I, I don't remember how much this one sold for, but, um, because I want to be a you know Blu-ray only guy, I've become that guy, and now I'm literally on the fence of selling Blu-rays. So that's where I'm at now. Um, but again, watching it again, now I have a confession to make. I watched this on YouTube because this isn't streaming anywhere. Actually, I don't know why it's not streaming anywhere. Well, there's a couple of possibilities. Um, and I don't have the hard disk, so I watched it on YouTube. And boy, is that one of my least favorite things to do, Mike? <laughs> yeah, there, there, that could be a, leave a lot to be desired when you watch like some like fourth generation like rip of a movie on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like four or five bucks on Fandango, and I don't have cable anymore. I just have four hundred apps on Roku, and I'm like, do I want another goddamn app on my Roku? for one movie and I went no I don't so I watched it on YouTube <laughs> where did you watch it I actually have the DVD which I bought like years and years ago and uh-huh. um, so I just dug that up I, I I got rid of a bunch of DVDs about I don't know maybe six seven years ago but uh, mm-hmm. I hung on to all my horror ones mm. but there you know there was a couple that I had you know different versions like for example Night of the Living Dead I had like you know, there's like a million different versions of that out there. Yep, exactly. And I had a, a bunch of uh, Last House on the Left version, you know, DVDs. And now I just have uh, my signed one and I have like two different Blu-rays of it. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, you know, I did my little perch. And unfortunately, The Burning was one of it. And sure enough, I needed to watch it and it wasn't there. So, you know, kick me in the ass for getting rid of some physical uh, media. <laughs> um but hey, I found a workaround and I watched it on YouTube. Um, I guess we'll get into uh, you know the, the nitty gritty here. Uh, the Burning is a 1981 American slasher film directed by Tony Malum, uh, starring Brian Matthews, Leia Ayers, Brian Backer, Larry Joshua, and Lou David. However, this movie is really best known for having the debuts of Jason Alexander of Seinfeld fame, of course, Fisher Stevens, 
and Holly Hunter. Now, actress Holly Hunter, Academy Award-winning actress Holly Hunter, has a, has a small role in this movie. But this was her first movie. And uh, I, I read a thing where she said that she was actually paid quite well for this movie, even going by, you know, going by 1981 money. So this, this you know, got her foot in the door. Kind of cool, right? Yeah. Um, and to me, one of the, the, the best things about this movie is the music. Uh, the music of Rick Wakeman, the progressive kind of creepy keyboardy music in this movie, I got to say, is fucking aces. Rick Wakeman, of course, of Yes. And Rick Wakeman, who did the music for Inferno, Michael. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely aware of that. And um, right. yeah, I mean, he's perfect. The perfect guy to um, hire to do a horror film score, in my opinion. Now, as many diehard fans of this movie know, or maybe you don't know if you're, you're younger or whatever, this was kind of how the Weinstein brothers, Harvey and Bob Weinstein, got their foot in the door in Hollywood. Uh, Harvey Weinstein actually came up with the story for this movie and is one of his producers, and his brother Bob wrote the screenplay. Um, look, just like uh, we've said about some other uh, old movies in the past, these guys saw the success of Halloween and they were inspired by Halloween and they said they were inspired by uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they wanted to make a horror film. And apparently Harvey Weinstein had heard about the, the, the Cropsey legend when he was going to summer camps back in the day, you know, in, in the 70s. And the, the Cropsey legend is something that had, had been like a campfire tale, you know, and he kind of incorporated it into, you know, coming up with the whole story for this movie. And the original script was, of course, entitled The Cropsey Maniac, uh, based on, you know, a, a summer camp tale that would always go around in New York and New Jersey. Uh, however, back in 2009, there was a documentary called Cropsey, uh, but that's kind of has you know nothing to do with um, like the legend that, that's kind of its own thing did you ever see that movie of course yeah that's yeah. uh i mean you know being v well familiar with the legend of cropsy um i think wasn't cropsy thought to reside on like staten island or something like that yeah it's a little confusing see i always thought it was kind of an upstate kind of thing so that's it see that's how a legend is born yeah, like see it's an like exact perfect example <laughs> of an ur urban legend some people and also, there's a there's a street in Brooklyn, Cropsey, Cropsey Avenue, Cropsey 100%. Avenue. Yeah, yes, it is a New York, New Jersey horror legend name. That's kind of where the name came from. I guess that's the best way to put it, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, and, um, and uh, so yeah, so I watched that documentary. I thought it was, that was you know definitely a lot of fun to watch something like that. Yeah, I mean, look, it it kicked it kicked off. Weinstein's career they got they started Miramax years later and well we all know what happened to the fucking Harvey Weinstein um you know piece of shit serial abuser molester god knows what um and oddly enough when all those allegations came out about him uh you know a couple of years ago whenever it was sure enough one of them went back to even this movie Mike really yep Damn. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, uh, this goes back to 1980, a then 24 year old university of Buffalo graduate and divorced mother, uh, was, was working on the film with him. 
and uh, he would regularly answer the door of, of the hotel they're staying at in a towel and he would drop the towel and it goes all the way back to, to this movie. It's like the same MO too, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is what the woman said. Yeah. It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, she was a pr- former production assistant. Um, I'm not going to say her name. Her name is on um, the Wikipedia page about the movie, oddly enough, but um, you know, it, it's amazing. It went all the way back to the first thing this guy ever did, which is kind of fucked up. You know, they should make a horror movie about Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> you know what right? I mean? Yeah. Unbelievable. That'd be really clever, um, actually. Like a, a, a sadomastic, or not sadomastic, a perverted slasher film featuring the character Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that I feel like what they did, the Weinstein brothers, uh, you know, a, a lot of people did back in the day. A, a lot of uh, directors, I'm talking about how they went from like a genre film or like a horror film, and then they became who they became, you know? Didn't Scorsese make some kind of weird-ass movies? I, I know Scorsese and De Palma made these kind of offbeat films before they became, you know, Scorsese and De Palma, you know? I'm not aware of uh, Scorsese making uh, like uh besides like you know gangster genre but i don't really know if he did any genre films but uh the palma definitely yeah he did a boxcar bertha which is a movie that i'd always heard about but i've never actually seen that i look i don't don't think it's a horror movie but i think it's just very not scorsese-esque i think Um, i think it has kind of grindhouse elements yeah exactly that's what i'm getting at that's what i'm getting at yeah so you know uh that was kind of the, the move i guess back in the day well, uh, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, the films are generally low budget, you know, and they, they kind of have a built in audience. And uh, I guess if you're, a, uh, you know, a, a young up and coming filmmaker, it uh, that's a way to, to, you know, cut your teeth, man. You get get some experience, you know, and some, you know, some the ones that stuck with the genre are my favorites, you know, but a lot of people, it seems like a lot of these directors and you know screenwriters start off in genre films. Yeah, I mean, and another highlight of the movie uh, is definitely the Tom Savini special effects. Uh, Tom Savini turned down making Friday the 13th Part 2 to make this movie. Tom did the great effects in Friday the 13th Part 1, but did not do Part 2. He instead did this movie. Um, Again, a lot of interesting kills in this movie, like, there's a scene, uh, that scene on the raft where they managed to get, where he, what is it, like four or five kills, like, you know, like in the daytime. I'll give, uh, like, that to me is one of the, the, the most, you know, coolest kills in the movie. It's like that daytime multi-kill. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, that's also where Savini does his uh, his neck gag, like the yep. uh, similar, mm-hmm. similar to the one that he did on Kevin Bacon. In uh, Friday the Thirteenth, where the, like the arrow, you know, the arrow comes through Bacon's neck. He's got like the fake rubber neck and the head, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, exactly. Except the guy in mm-hmm. um in the burning gets slashed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but, yeah, you know, typical Savini like blood and gut stuff. Awesome, especially for the time it came out. Totally, totally. But to me, <laughs> I feel like. All these things we've mentioned, right? You know, you got your early George Costanza from Seinfeld, and you got, you know, 
the quirkiness of it that's the best part of this movie i feel like I, am i crazy am i wrong i well, think i might be killed on this one but you know whatever well this is my thing with this movie we in the beginning starts off strong it does okay it does start off very strong actually yeah um there's a it's a great scene of the of young campers about to fuck with uh cropsy um and they put like this skull with like worms on it on his bed and he wakes up it's like a candle and he knocks it over and he knocks it onto his bed and he goes up in flames and that it is a great opening actually and the music is creepy a very fucking solid opening mike i'll give it that i i definitely have to give those props there and then we cut to uh sleazy new york city 42nd street times square yes after crosby has been released from the hospital he was in the hospital for a while and you know they talk about all the burns that he has he's like horribly disfigured and he goes, you know, he wants to get laid, Mike. Is, of is that kind of? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like he wants to get laid slash wants to kill because he's fucking angry because he's turned into a fucking mutant. Um, and it has a real kind of like uh, Joe Joe Spinell maniac almost yes. moment, right? Like kind of like a you know that kind of vibe. Um, then I feel like once it gets to the camp, the suck begins. I don't know. I, I that it just kind of didn't grab me anymore. Well, well, my my take on it is like if it if it had stayed in CD New York City, mm-hmm. CD nineteen eighty New York, and it w- went down into that depraved alleyway, I would have really enjoyed the movie. But then going upstate to the camp, which in and of itself isn't a, isn't such a bad idea, but it became too. Um, focused on the kids and the, yeah. little, the little dramas that are going on with their, you know, school, uh, and, you know, high school bullshit that goes on with kids, you know? And I didn't really give a shit about this cast. I don't know. I didn't like, they were I, like, again, like you're watching, you're watching it now and all you see is George Costanza and you see rat from fast times at Ridgemont high. And you know what I'm saying? And it's like, okay, whatever. And you, Oh, look, there's Holly Hunter as a young girl and blah 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 and yada yada fisher stevens is woodstock and okay but again it this is not friday the 13th part one i'm sorry it's i felt way more like vested and it's it more intrigued and i think there was a better vibe in that movie and a better atmosphere and okay i, I i'm gonna do it you don't know who the killer is in Friday the 13th. Yeah. yeah. You know who the killer is. You know why he's, you know who the killer is. You know why he's killing. And he kills a lot in the daytime. And it's, it's quite different in a way from Friday the 13th in that respect, but it's not as as strong of a movie, you know, and it's not Halloween at all. It's not Halloween. It's not Friday the 13th. I don't know. You know, and it doesn't have that uh, that uncomfortable sleepaway camp thing either, you know? No, it doesn't have that. Right. 100%. Um, but here's the thing, though. Uh, and this, this is taken from Wikipedia. 1980, okay? 
this project was apparently initiated before Friday the 13th because because he had a he had a five page treatment in 1979 Weinstein called the Cropsy Maniac. He registered the treatment in April of 80, a month before Cunningham's movie was released. Isn't that wild? Sean Cunningham, the director of Friday the 13th. So it's more coincidental. I would have never thought that, man. Because, like, watching this film, I'm just like, all right, this is the way these guys cash in on Friday the 13th. Right. Oh, and that's probably what everybody thought. However, it was at the same exact time. But both of them had the same intention. Horror is cool right now. Same intention. Cunningham and the Weinsteins had the same intention. Um, And another director, Joe Elson, at the same exact time as this, had a a pre-production title of The Burning for his Don't Go in the House, also from 1980. Ever see Don't Go in the House, Mike? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That movie that movie is fucked up. We should probably cover that one day. Sure. Fucked up movie. Uh, a movie I feel is superior to The Burning, actually. Quite different, but, you know. Um, also, made around the same time, released later, was Mad Men. I was going to bring that up, actually, yeah. Yeah, Mad Men, in the summer of 80, uh, commented, like, apparently, like, all these were happening at the same time. So, you know... Who bit off who? Who's to say? Again, to me, they all just came out of the success of the hot Halloween shit that was happening. Also, the 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 killer in Madman was supposed to be Cropsy too. Yeah, yeah, it's all that New York and what all these movies also have in common. They're all shot in New York, New Jersey. You know, um, so all these movies bear a kinship. Madman, Friday Thirteenth Part One. Uh, the burning, don't go in the house. They're all northeast. I'm going to even venture to say that uh, I actually like Madman better than I like uh, the burning. Yeah, but I gave Madman a rewatch. I have the Blu-ray about a year, uh, a year or two ago, and that's another one that is good. But it is not, it's like its reputation of how horrified I was of the box cover and of, of the, even the thought of seeing the movie as a young kid, you know, <laughs> finally seeing the movie, night and day. It's, it's you know, it has like, what's her name uh, from uh, Dawn of the Dead is in it and there's like a hokey love scene. Like, it's not that intense. Like, it's not the the reputation to me is way more than the movie and i think the burning's reputation is also bigger than the movie these are definitely not first tier slasher films for sure you know no but to a lot of our listeners i think they are and a lot of people i think they are like i mean or maybe not okay maybe not first tier but look time has its way of making people view things differently and this movie was kind of panned. It didn't do that good. But now this movie actually gets props from critics, too, actually, for uh, its effects. And, again, I think for its its quirks. I'm surprised at that, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it was made for $1.5 million. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know where the Weinsteins got their money back then, but it's funny how Holly Hunter was talking about how she made like a thousand dollars a week in 1980, 1980, which yeah. was phenomenal money for a, a, like a first film for, you know, an actor, an actress. Um, and then it made like 707 at the box office. So it didn't even make its money back, but it went on to be a video hit and it went on to be a video nasty and it was censored and, you know, in England and that whole thing. Like, you know, uh, the UK has the horrible censorship laws, uh, that lasted quite a long time actually. And people couldn't even see the full versions of movies till to me, not even that long ago, it seems like. And this was one of them, actually. There's some classic uh, British horror films that were re released around that time, too. Like that movie Dead Meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Peeping Tom. Which, Peeping uh, Tom, yes. I've seen, I think I saw that movie a long time ago. I need to see it again. I, I, I know the movie you're talking about. I feel like Peeping Tom is kind of like a, uh, you know, let's say a spiritual cousin to Maniac in some ways. Mm, okay, yeah. What's funny is that while I was watching this, it made me think of Maniac and how much more of a superior movie that is, even though that movie, Maniac is a fucked up movie, okay? It's just, it's you, you need a shower still, I feel like, after you watch it. But it's it's a, it's a better movie. It's a, it's a fucking... Toward the force, I think maniac. You know, that's the word I'm going to use. Well, you're you're in you're in the movie when you're watching it. You know what I mean? Like when you're watching Maniac, like you're in, totally submerged in the madness. You know, of Frank. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, in in uh, in the burning, I just um, you know maybe now in this stage of my life, after have you know maybe it was different when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but. When I watch Maniac right now, I still get submerged in just the yeah. mm -hmm. psychotic feel of that movie. But with, um, with the burning, I just uh, I'm like, oh, I'm watching a bunch of kids. I'm not that interested in that. <laughs> you know, there's like, oh, cool. There's some cool like Tom Savini stuff going on here. But there's no real sense of menace in the movie. Mm. You know, it's like, OK, the, the cool special effects are there. A couple OK kills. But there's too much, and usually I'm one who likes more story and characterization. But I just think that this has too much of like this almost non sequiturs in the film. You know, like mm. like little dramas that are going on. It's like either make that stuff really interesting, or or don't or don't do it. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny. Like I said, how uh, time has been kind to this film. Apparently in 2017, Complex Magazine named The Burning the 12th best slasher movie of all time. I don't Real. agree with that at all. And in the following year, 2018, Paste Magazine included in their list in the uh, list of 50 best slashers. Oh, it's in the list of 50. Um, but Cropsey, the killer, ranked 12th greatest villain, slasher villain, by LA Weekly. Yeah, really? Hmm. I mean, I guess, look... He's interesting in a way that he's hell bent on revenge, and he was, you know, these these kids did this to him. But I feel like haven't we heard this song before? <laughs> like, yeah. is that is that a great villain? He's seeking revenge for what some people did to him. Hmm. 
you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it, we've heard this before. I'm going to, you know, not, not to beat this drum over and over again, but my, my favorite all time slasher villain is still Frank man from, from maniac. Mm, interesting. He's your favorite. He is. I mean, I, I mean, I would say after him is Michael Myers, but Frank's okay. a, Frank's a real guy. You know what I mean? That's what's terrifying about Frank. Oh yeah. I mean, and honestly, like, like I, I would even put look. I think Terrifier is a better movie than this. Yeah, about oh, that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's going to put a nuclear bomb on a listener or two. But because you're 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 drawn in and you're fascinated, like who the, who is this person? What is this person? Who is this guy? Like you know, we know this guy. We know Cropsey's whole story three seconds into the fucking movie, Mike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's all told in the first scene. I mean, Friday the Thirteenth has an a interesting, uh, like a better backstory, and it's a who fucking done it? You know, you don't know till the end of the movie, and at the end of the movie, you're fucking shocked that this is the person who's the fucking killer. You I know? was, I was definitely shocked when I first saw this way back in, you know, like two hundred years ago or whenever that film came out. <laughs> you know, but like, but also let's let's not forget that the whole Jason Voorhees angle was like a switcheroo that happened in the second movie. Mm, yes. You know? So 100%. That, that's the, the props that I give to Friday the 13th, is that it, it started over here and then it ended over there. You know, it's like... Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a switcheroo went on there, you know? And the whole Friday the 13th is giallo bears a little bit of weight because of the fact that it's a whodunit and it's a body count and all you see is hands... It's got giallo traits. I'll give it. Uh, I'm going to bet. I I was vehemently against this, but I have to say it bears several key giallo traits. And I just named three of them, you know? Um, Again, I feel like The Burning is, look, it's not a bad movie. See The Burning if you have not seen The Burning. But I would not put it in this upper echelon of slashers as many seem to. I, I agree with that. And, you know, and, and some, someone out there who's not so into maybe someone is like bored and they find this show and they hear us talking about these movies and they're like, well, you know, that's all just like violent, you know, crap, but it's not. I think that like you can tell there's a huge difference between the, the writing that was in maniac Halloween and Friday mm-hmm. the 13th and then compare it to the burning and it's like mm-hmm. you can really see that there is like some craft that goes on with those other three films that just yeah. is lacking in the burning let's be honest Harvey Weinstein isn't known for his great writing of films yeah. okay he was in his fucking 20s he wrote this like you know what I'm saying he wrote the tree he came up with the story come on man this, not, there's not a lot to fucking there's not a lot of meat here Let's no, be honest. No, it's you know, and I guess that's probably at the end of the day why I'm not so stoked on the on the movie. Because I mean, you know, well, how Carpenter was was a young guy when he wrote uh, Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's it's far more impressive. I mean, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Leonard Malton back in the day when this was released gave this movie one star, a terrible Friday the Thirteenth ripoff. <laughs> What's funny is that look. Because of the because of when it was released, a year after you know Friday the Thirteenth, 
I'm sure everyone thought it was a Friday the 13th ripple. We have just proven that it was literally <laughs> written before. Like, it was just at the same exact time, almost pretty much before. But whatever. That doesn't, doesn't mean it's a better movie than Friday the 13th. It doesn't mean shit. No. No, it definitely uh, pales, I would say. <laughs> um, the Weinsteins were super impressed by... Uh, Savini's work in Dawn of the Dead and the first Friday the 13th and Maniac. And that's why they grabbed him for this movie. Uh, they flew to Pittsburgh to meet him and they got him to say no to Friday the 13th part two to do this movie. And um, I would bet the farm they threw a lot of money at him, even though uh, I can't find that for a fact. And uh, he said that he liked the burning script better than Friday the 13th part two script. Interesting. Huh. Maybe he saw this script as um, more of an opportunity for him to flex his uh, special effects muscles. And that's kind of, look, in a way, that's kind of a lot of what this movie is. Yeah. It's, it's wild kills and crazy daytime kills and blood effects. And right. I mean, I would say the story of Friday the 13th Part 2 is a better story. I'm sorry. I just think it is. Sure. Yeah, I, absolutely it is. Um, again, this movie had, you know, it had a cool box cover, had a cool movie poster. It had, it had all that kind of early 80s shit going for it. And I, I'm sure when it was released, it scared the pants out of people. And it made people not want to go to summer camps, just like it, all these movies th that most of which I didn't even see. I was really young. I was so fucking afraid of, of movies like horror movies, like these movies, you know, hearing about these movies did in summer camps for me as a kid, even though I was a city kid and I wasn't even going to summer camp anyway. Um, but ultimately, I just feel like, you know, a, a reputation can go so far that it can carry something into the stratosphere. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you were talking about being scared of these movies, I'm trying to remember, I watched all these movies with my mom mm -hmm. and my mom was all, loved, loves still to this day, loves horror movies. And I was trying to remember if it was actually, if whose idea it was to see some of these movies, if it was my idea or my mom's idea. Oh, wow. I'm trying, I can't even remember. You know, I just, I just always remember liking horror films, and my my mom would always be the one who was pushing to rent a horror movie at the video store. Wow, that's cool, man. I mean, my my parents were not, uh, you know, I, I would watch the occasional marquee horror movie with that, like the family. Like I remember when Nightmare on Elm Street came out on home video, we were all at my uncle's house and we all watched it together. Isn't that interesting? Like like a like a 10, 12 people watching. Wow, family, uh, family event. Yes, it was a family event. It was a family event. Yeah, um, but you know, it's an interesting fact about its censorship. Uh, I mentioned it, it's British censorship. It was like an X got an X rating uh, from the BBFC. Uh, apparently, up until two thousand and seven in America. You didn't even get the full movie until it came out on DVD in 2007, aside from the, the theatrical. Like all of, all of its home video releases prior to 2007 were had gore cut 
from it and, and you know to give it an r rating wow but but watching it again watching it now i'm like huh really <laughs> it's like i i mean i guess you know violence was just viewed such a different way back then i mean now i watch it and honestly to me the the sickest part is that the great opening and the ending like the axe to the fate like the the, the, the final ending where, where cropsy bites the dust that was a good scene you know what i'm talking about like yeah, the, the yeah that, that was definitely one of the better scenes in the film you know yeah um but i don't know at no point did i feel like this was just this is over the top violence. Like it was, almost, I felt that some of it was cartoonish, actually. Yeah, I mean, especially compared to some other films. I mean, you know, like Night of the Living Dead, necro cannibalism, right? Or even like, like Inside. I mean, this isn't Inside, you know. <laughs> oh well, yeah, well, that was you know way way later. Yeah, but, <laughs> right. No, I'm yeah. just saying, like, by yeah. comparison, it's just it's so funny how, you know, uh, over the years movies that were like these shocking shocking movies and you watch them now and it's like wow man they, they really got upset about this one and to me it's really uh nothing to get that upset about <laughs> but you know we wanted to cover this one I, I feel it is an important movie in the canon of of summer horrors it takes place in a summer camp in the summertime but you know not everything is going to get a five star from the necro camp people <laughs> definitely not this one <laughs> now which puts this movie from me at uh a three out of five god damn it man i i that's exactly what i have written down as a three yes as uh long-time listeners will know three means see it it means it's worth seeing see this movie it means we're not gaga over it though yeah <laughs> that's it yeah. um it's an important movie to see in the canon of 80s horror you know um but is it as important as all the movies we've discussed you know tonight uh, no it isn't i mean is it is it a ripoff of friday the 13th it is actually uh factually not but it is a subpar film against it thanks for straightening that out man it's like i i would have i all this time i was like yeah this is just like trying to cash in on something but it's um it's funny how that works out sometimes i mean i bet the weinstein brothers were like fuck man <laughs> right they were like <laughs> when friday 13 came out i was like shit really we have this movie we, you know fuck it's like the same exact time you know it, it brings to mind sometimes when um I'll have a new riff or a new song or a new, the band has something new. And then I'll hear like something from another band that's also new and, uh, and it bears a slight resemblance that happens. Oh yeah, man, for sure. I mean, there's only so many fucking notes, man. You know what yeah, I mean? No, like, totally, you know. totally. Or like even it could happen even sometimes lyrically or like the song title, like, you know, like, as creative people, this shit happens, man, you know? Actually, what what sometimes what happens to me is uh, there's even a riff from another song that I wrote that actually ends uh, up. And so yeah. that's happened twice. And uh, I'm not going <laughs> to, anyone 
you know, I don't. If anyone out there is familiar with the band that I play in, it's like, you tell me where where these two riffs pop up. So, <laughs> but that uh, is happen too, man. Yeah. I mean, I, again, twelve notes. You know, yeah. um, I mean. I'll say this. It, I want to try to get my hands maybe on on, on the soundtrack. I'll say that. I, I, I dig. I dug the soundtrack quite a bit. Oh, for sure, man. That's probably one of the strongest things about the film is the soundtrack, for sure. And uh, I'm looking at the the original, uh, like the original LP, what the, the, the cover of it is. It is like so 1980. Like it says Rick Wakeman. And it's like white. And it's like a guy running. And it says it's got the burning. And it's like a, it's just, it's so weird. The album cover. It's hilarious. Like. The 1981 album cover, it's hilarious. Is there uh, like a cool like uh, you know re reissue of it anywhere? There probably is. I bet there totally is. Uh, I didn't I didn't do that kind of a dive, but I I would almost guarantee it. I mean, let's be honest. Between like Death Waltz, Waxworks, Waxworks, Mondo, like I, I guarantee somebody out there has has put you know has put this out. But if not, then I will you know, and if the OG won't break the bank. I, w I would grab this. I like getting sometimes the, the like the LPs. If I can afford an original, then I'll get an original because a lot of times, like the covers of the reissues, have that horrible artwork. Have you noticed that? Or sometimes they do a really good job, like uh, you know, like Waxworks or Death Waltz. Mm -hmm. Those those are great. They always do a really cool, like some original painted cover or something like that, but. Sometimes though, it like I'm not gonna say they're always great though. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't like it. Like it, it's weird. Um, like they did a great job on reissuing, uh, you know, uh, the Rob Zombie uh, horror movies on vinyl. But some of the covers, I'm like, ah, I wish they went a different way. <laughs> you, know? you um, you you have the uh, the Robert McNaughton Henry of a uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer score, right? Yes, I have the reissue of it. Yeah, my buddy uh, Mark has the OG, has the 1990 vinyl. Um, uh, I have the, the the reissue. Yeah, that uh, what do you call it? Waxwork just put out. The cover for that one's cool. It's just basically no, like a, yeah, it's like a painting of uh, Michael Rooker, basically. Yep, yep. No, that one I don't hate. I like that one. Speaking um, of Michael Rooker, uh, as you know, I've been diving into uh, Crime Story. I have the, mm -hmm. the DVD uh, box set of that. Yeah. Michael Rooker is in the pilot episode. Wow. He's like, doesn't even have a speaking role. He's just like <laughs> one, one of the cops, like in, in like the shootout in the, in the pilot. That's awesome. Yeah. It's while watching Miami Vice, it is a who's who of not just stars of the eighties of mega stars of today that are in episodes of Miami Vice, like Liam Neeson, Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo Esposito has, is in two or three different episodes playing different people in Miami Vice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so many people. Uh, I think as the series goes on, I think Chris Rock is in an episode. It's just so many people, like, cut their teeth on that show. Uh, what's his name? Al Bundy for Married with Children, that actor, whose the name, of course, has escaped me. He'll always be Al Bundy. He's on an episode. You know, uh, it, it's just, I, you could, like, you know, Google famous people who are on Miami Vice. It's a tremendous list, and you'll know almost every name. Now, I think you mentioned this before, but is that is that streaming somewhere? 
Yeah, Miami Vice is it's on Amazon and it's also on uh, Sci-Fi. It's on several services. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. But even though it was an NBC show, it is not on Peacock. So hmm. yeah, and it's NBC's apps. Kind of weird. Yeah, I should probably go back and watch those. I used to I used to really like those. Totally. People are going to be sick of hearing me talk about it, but it is what it is, listeners. I mean, it could be worse. I could be talking about how much I love, you know, Real Housewives of whatever. I mean, then that would be really questionable, wouldn't it? I mean, at least I'm watching something good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Quick well, question for you, man. Yeah, man. Let's go. In, in the mail. Today was mm-hmm. a good mail day. Ah, okay. Urban Gothic by Brian Keene just showed up. Oh, nice. Have you read that one? Now, I'm a little thrown off. Is Urban Gothic the new one or the old one? Because he has a new one coming out, which is the sequel. Is Suburban the sequel or is Urban the sequel? Oh, no, Urban is the old one. The new one that's coming is Suburban. Am I correct? I think so, yeah. Yes. So, yes, I have read that one. It's fucking great. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm uh, just dipping my toe. You know, I read, I read The Rising, I read mm-hmm. Rick Teeth, and now uh, this showed up, and I'll probably, you know, probably jump into this one, uh, you know, real quick. Now, the cool thing about Urban Gothic is that it's, it's not, um, it's kind of, a, it's its own kind of thing. Uh, it has a, its sequel book is coming out, Suburban. It's, it, it's uh, the hardcover it came out and like sold out. The paperback is literally, I think it's this weekend or next week or something. So it's really funny that you just picked up Urban Gothic. I need to reread it. I read it when it came out back in 2011. Haven't read it since, but it is a good one. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm getting with the program. I know originally yeah. I wasn't, a, I wasn't really a fan, but I'm starting to come around. Well, he said he's going to do a New York appearance in 2022, and I'm, I'm sure he will. So hopefully when he does, you and I will be there. Oh, yeah, for sure. He'll man. probably remember me. So <laughs> I met him like twice, and, you know, I, he, he, he'd probably remember my name. <laughs> you know, it's funny you were talking about, you know, I'm like a huge um, Adam Neville fan. And, mm-hmm. you're, and you're like, oh, yeah, Adam Neville is like your Brian Keene. You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> another another similarity between the two is that they are both fans of extreme music. Yeah, that's right. Um, and y- you told me like Neville will will you know will will kind of like th- throw that around in his writing. I mean, Brian Keane has mentioned sick of it all, hate breed, anthrax, like you you name it of, of metal and hardcore and all sorts of music throughout peppered throughout his books, which is really cool. What, what I really appreciated with Neville was uh, in his, one of his more recent books, The Reddening, which came out a few mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, it revolves around a guy who was like a, used to be in, in like a folk sort of band in the 70s. And he gets involved in like witchcraft and the occult and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a very, very cool part of the book where um, the journalist is researching the guy and there's like a you know he he writes like a wikipedia like entry form and it covers all this stuff and they make references to you know black metal and all this other <laughs> stuff burzum he talks about burzum in this description and yeah it's oh, just wow. like it's very it's very he's he's got this really really intense like detail oriented way of presenting his 
his uh, you know his characters, which I, I always appreciated that kind of thing. Um, real quick, my brother John, as far as new stuff, he said he saw uh, that new movie Pig. Oh yeah, I heard about that one. Yeah, yeah. He said it is a must see. He said it is bonkers. So uh, that I do want to see. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is in that. Yep, the new Nicolas Cage, Pig. I have a feeling that it might be uh, a revisiting of his character Red from uh, from uh, Mandy. Mm, maybe. I mean, you know, it, it's it's probably Mandy level, right? That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah. Like Mandy level, bonkers, awesome movie kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to see that one for sure. Totally. All right, listeners, this wraps up another edition of your favorite horror podcast, the Necromaniacs podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe on any of the, you know, podcast platforms that are out there. And if you're so inclined, leave us a review if you're an Apple podcast listener. We love those little reviews, right, Mike? Yeah, they're great, man. You know, even if even if you don't like the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Even if you're like one of those one star people, but I, you know, I don't think we we've gotten any of those one star, this one sucks kind of you know reviews. But um, yeah, we appreciate it, and you know, fucking thank you so much for the continued support, and we will see you next time. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys.